0: So, um, right now, I am in my car. I am driving to my attorney's office. Um, I'm supposed to meet there at 8.30 and then head with him to the courthouse for the first day of trial. Um, Today is jury selection. The voice you hear is mine. I'm driving in for the first day of my high-stakes, multi-million-dollar malpractice uh, trial. You know, I don't feel so good right now. Um, I'm the only defendant... And this is actually the second time I'll be on trial during the course of this 12-year malpractice case. The whole story can wait, but I'll say right now that I've learned a lot in the decade-plus that I've been a malpractice defendant, and it can be boiled down to two main points. One, the system is totally messed up. And two, we've got to start talking about it. Welcome to this podcast, The L Word, We Need to Talk. This is a podcast meant for physicians, discussing medical malpractice litigation and the toll it takes on us as professionals and as human beings. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and when I was first named as a defendant in 2006, I had no idea what to do. I didn't know who to call. I didn't know who to talk to. I was paralyzed. I just had no clue. And it turns out that that's pretty much par for the course. No game plan
1: or experience to pull upon as to what happened next, how it was going to proceed. Um, I had nothing. I I'd had no preparation for what might happen should this happen. I didn't know who to call. Um, I had nothing.
2: I, I, I felt was like I was alone at... Uh... No one else could really know what this was like. Nobody warned me about this. (laughs) Nobody warns any of us about this. Somebody needs to warn us about this type of of, of pressure and pain that we're going to experience in practice.
1: I think that I was incredibly well prepared for so many things, but I was never prepared for this.
0: So here's the thing. We all worry about being sued. I mean, obviously, our primary focus is good patient care, but let's be real. As distasteful as it might be to admit, most of us worry about it, at least, you know, in the abstract sense that it's something looming out there that we don't want to happen to us. But usually the only training we get is, you know, a handful of quote-unquote risk management lectures that your hospital sponsors, you know, some training in defensive charting or service recovery, the stuff that happens before you're named to try to keep you from being named in a lawsuit. that does have its role, and hospitals love it, because once you're sued, they're often sued with you. But the truth is that whether or not you're sued is largely a crapshoot, and once that envelope is in your hand, once you are named as a defendant, most of us don't have any idea what to do or what happens next. And when you enter that world... You are like Alice in Wonderland, falling down that rabbit hole into a world where you have no idea what to expect, whom to trust, what directions to follow, or how you'll ever get out. I recently heard a lecture by Rich Levitan, legendary emergency physician and teacher, and he remarked that he felt like our medical educational system was doing young students and residents a disservice, that they were... His words, quote, underprepared for the fight. They were underprepared for what modern medicine had become, what battles they would need to be fighting for their patients and to save themselves. And I remember thinking, by God, they are completely underprepared for this fight, too. It's as though the medical system said to us, you know, we'll train you up to a certain point. Make sure you know the medicine. But once you're a defendant, as far as that goes, you know, you're on your own. Godspeed. So the reason that this podcast is called The L Word is because doctors don't like talking about lawsuits or what they do to us as human beings. As one doctor put it. As much as we work together and as close as we are on a personal level, we never talk about it. Nobody ever talks about it. You probably have colleagues right now who are being sued And you have no idea. These partners that I've had for over a decade, nobody discusses it. And I'm sure that it's still happening. And I don't know
1: what's going on within my group because we don't discuss it.
0: We don't talk about the fact that it drives good doctors out of medicine. It drives them to drink. It drives them into divorce, into depression, into suicide. And our inability to talk about it ensures that every physician who enters this realm feels ashamed and isolated and terrified. It ensures that we will remain ever underprepared for the fight. And that's something that we should change.
1: For the first one, I was just, you know, you're kind of young and fresh and idealistic. I've always been very idealistic about medicine. Um,
0: This is Dr. B. He's one of a group of physicians who agreed to do interviews with me about their experiences in litigation, how it affected their practices and their lives. I'm keeping them anonymous, although many of them offered for me to use their real names. They've all given permission for me to share their stories in an effort to help other doctors understand this process and its emotional impact better.
1: I um, absorbed a lot of internal anger. Um, You know, I I didn't even know how to talk about it with anyone. Um, So in this
0: series, we're going to be discussing uh, the gamut. From litigation stress and malpractice stress syndrome...
1: uh, I compensated in some unhealthy ways as well. ...to
0: preparing for your deposition... To how litigation affects your relationships.
1: Uh, I know it affect my, affected some of my close relationships. Your
0: spouse, your children. We'll talk about litigation and burnout.
1: It made me detest going to work, uh, made me suspicious of patients, and you
0: know. Litigation you know. and suicide, the climate of malpractice in various states, and how to protect your financial assets. We'll get advice about dealing with the different stressors at each phase of this long journey through litigation. We'll talk to experts about concrete strategies for coping. We'll talk about what it's like to go to trial to deal with expert witnesses, plaintiff attorney tactics. And mostly you'll hear stories from doctors like you, wonderful, good, kind, competent doctors who have been sued and who want to change the experience for other doctors going forward. Because the first step for all of us is learning how to talk about it openly, sharing our experiences, and removing the stigma. My hope is for those who haven't gone through this yet to learn about the process, to know what to expect, to be better prepared for the fight. And I want for those of you who are going through this now or struggling through the aftermath, I want you to realize that Your career is so much more than any one individual case and that you're not alone in what you're going through and that your feelings are understood and justifiable and that you can make a difference for others just by telling your story. So in the remainder of this episode, we're just going to start to answer the question, what's the big deal? Why is litigation stress the problem that it is for so many of us? Why am I bothering to do this podcast? Why can't doctors just get over themselves and deal? When non-physicians have asked me this question in the past, I found it hard to answer. The truth is, it's complicated.
3: All right, so look.
0: Thankfully, some doctors don't have trouble expressing it at all.
3: Most of us are intellectually like... I won't say Olympic athletes, but top athletes. Okay, we've typically been in the top part of our class from grade school on, high school, college, med school, residency, etc. We're, we're the we're the winners, and now someone is coming along and challenging every aspect of our success, saying that basically we're phonies. we, we did harm to somebody. We killed somebody.
0: This is Dr. L, a respected academic who retired after 40 years of medical practice and multiple
3: lawsuits. Because it tears down all these thoughts and feelings that we have about ourselves in a way that you you can't ever really completely redeem it. You can't say, no, you're wrong. Because we all have some self-doubt. How many times have you said, geez, should I send this patient home or should I admit him for observation? Should I get the CAT scan? or the ultrasound, or the MRI, you know, I mean, we, we all have doubts. We, none of us are assured enough about every aspect of our practice. I mean, anybody who, who doesn't question himself or herself, not on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, on a every 30 minutes basis, isn't practicing good medicine. Th- there are always doubts that are introduced into our, our daily practice. So along comes somebody who sets up a, an equation whereby everything that we've done is called into question and mocked and belittled. And say, geez, am I really that bad? Am I really that incompetent?
0: Am I really that bad? Am I really that incompetent? Eventually, that sentiment grows like ivy through all the cracks in your mind. And then it becomes replaced with, I really am that bad, despite the fact that I dedicated my life to medicine, that I bust my hump every day for my patients, that I studied and studied to get into school, that I gave up a decade of my life for medical school and residency. I am tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. I have missed birthdays and holidays and first steps and anniversaries and more sleep than I can quantify. I have given medicine nearly everything, and it's not enough.
3: I've known at least two people who've committed suicide over this, just because it, it's so distressing to uh, one's self-worth.
0: It really can be that destructive. But there's more than that. There's more than the erosion of self-worth and more than the stress and fear of the lawsuit itself and repercussions. Particularly in serious cases where there's been a bad outcome, we also experience grief and guilt over what happened whether or not we feel responsible we legitimately care about our patients and how we affect their lives we always strive to make the right choices in the absence of a crystal ball and when things go wrong
2: we feel awful as as sentient human beings When you become aware of the fact that a patient has had a bad outcome, whether or not you had anything to do with that bad outcome, you automatically feel badly for the patient. You feel some degree of guilt, wondering and asking yourself whether you could possibly have prevented something that happened that ultimately resulted in the bad outcome. So you're starting to grieve almost immediately. Allow me to
0: introduce Dr. Louise Andrew, MD, JD. You'll be hearing her expertise throughout this series. She is a pioneer voice and one of the foremost experts on litigation stress and physician wellness and has written and spoken extensively on this topic for years. Among many other accomplishments, Dr. Andrew co-founded the American Association of Women Emergency Physicians and the Society for the International Advancement of Emergency Medical Care, as well as the Coalition and Center for Ethical Medical Testimony And we will get into the ramifications of unethical expert witness testimony in a later podcast. Dr. Andrew is the founder of MD Mentor, which provides personalized litigation stress support for health professionals. And her website at mdmentor.com has an open access resource section that I highly recommend. It's a great reference when you're looking for a good place to start seeking knowledge and support. Let's get back to what she was saying about grief and guilt
2: in a bad outcome. And then when you're named in a case involving that situation, um, you're reactivating the grief. And it's very well known by all plaintiff's attorneys that physicians have this kind of innate guilt and they use it every step of the way to try to provoke doctors to settle so that they don't have to go to the expense and, and actually the stress of litigating a case to its conclusion.
0: Physicians have innate guilt, and plaintiffs' attorneys use it every step of the way. The worse the outcome, the worse it feels, and the more the plaintiff attorney stands to gain.
3: The worse the outcome of the uh, encounter, the, the harder it's going to be and the more you're going to be attacked. I mean, if you have a young kid who died because of a meningitis, for example, you're going to feel horrible. And you're going to be attacked, and your your credibility and worth as a human as well as a physician are, are just going to be filleted by the uh, attorney.
0: So how does it all come together? The erosion of confidence, the doubt, the guilt, the weight of a bad outcome. Here's how one doctor put it, describing a patient who had left AMA after presenting with very confusing symptoms, who then returned to the same physician coding and died.
1: I took everything really personally. Like this was a reflection upon me that this was my failing that, you know, I, it really shook my confidence. It shook my decision-making confidence. It shook so many different things. You know, I had taken care of many dissecting aneurysms as a, as a resident. It's not like I'd never seen them. I'd seen plenty of them. Um, I've seen them since it's, she was very atypical. She was, I had no history, she didn't look like it. Everything was loaded against me, and yet I was made to feel like somehow I was less than by allowing this to happen. Plus, you know, somebody died and she did it right in front of me. So I don't care whether you're responsible or not,
0: that kind of stuff scars you, you know? And now, add to all of this the weight, the complexity of litigation, a world that you likely do not understand. While the attorneys knowingly prey on your emotions from the very second they write the complaint that you'll read when you're served. On top of all of that, now you're worried about your career, your future jobs, your finances, your reputation, your insurability. And what are you told from the get-go? Don't talk about it with anyone except your attorney. From the start, we are isolated in our suffering, caught in a process that is specifically engineered to inflict as much emotional damage on you as possible, while to nearly everyone else, it's about the money. Now, before I leave you completely devoid of hope, let me say that there's more to come. I first had the idea for this series when I was still in litigation myself, six months before my second trial. Doing these interviews, hearing these stories, and the advice from docs who had been there was incredibly helpful to me, and I hope it will be to you too. We've talked about why litigation stress exists, and in the series to come we're going to cover more on litigation stress and its evil twin malpractice stress syndrome, and how you can cope with it, even thrive despite it. We'll also talk about the nuts and bolts of the litigation process because I truly believe that preparation is an antidote to anxiety. Remember, you are not alone in this, and you'll be hearing from physicians like you who have successfully navigated this, who understand how you feel, and I would like to take a moment to publicly thank them and the experts you'll be hearing from as well for volunteering their time and their stories to help all of us. Until next time.